You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, thanks for listening. It's Friday the 20th of August. It is bright and dry here in York on day three of the Welcome to Yorkshire Ebor Festival. And if yesterday I was hailing Mishriff as potentially the best horse in the world, then we didn't have to wait long to see another superstar performance. Snowfall demolished her opposition in a very good time for the Darley Yorkshire Oaks. With Wonderful Tonight, however, running a little below par, as I welcome in Racing Post senior writer Lee Motter said this morning, what did Snowfall really achieve? Indeed, did we learn anything new? And did she add, Lee, another string to her bow? Oh, I think she did, Nick. I think she did. I think what we saw yesterday was um, was that when she gets to, to Paris in the autumn, as she surely will, whatever the ground comes up won't be a problem that was pretty quick ground yesterday the two races on the mile and a half track were both run under racing post standard which is a a pretty good marker that the ground was quickening i know guys in the press room were saying they thought the ground was riding good to firm whatever the going description so it was it was pretty fast ground we know that she's great on soft ground because my goodness it was it was deep that day at epsom when she won the oaks by half the track but on, on a on a faster surface she was similarly imperious, Nick. I, I, I thought it was a, a sublime display. Yes, Wonderful Tonight didn't run up to her form on ground that we had very strong expectations. She wouldn't be effective on or as effective on if she's in the mud. Um, and you can you can look at the form and say, listen, that, that's not arc winning form in itself. And it isn't. But she was so impressive. And I thought what was particularly striking was in the post-race debriefs, Ryan Moore, when speaking to, to Lydia Hislop on, on Racing TV and to Ollie Bell on ITV, kept using the word exceptional. Um, and I believe he was using the same word to connections as well after the race. So I think he was really taken and he isn't one to big up a horse where it isn't entirely merited. So I thought it was a wonderful performance and I am so excited, Nick, about this 100th Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. It looks like an absolute belter. It does. And I posed the question earlier in the week, is Mishriff the best horse in the world? He might even not have been the best horse running at York Seaboard Festival. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a, this is always a meeting where you come probably more than most hoping to see world class performances. Um, and I think we've seen two this week with with Mishriff and Snowfall. Whether or not we'll see Mishriff in the arc, I don't know. I think the fact that they're going to swerve the Irish champion stakes really does suggest to me that they're thinking of a of a long autumn campaign that could stretch to to Delmar for the Breeders' Cup and maybe Tokyo for the Japan Cup as well. I'm not sure that if we got normal arc ground, so good to soft or worse, that they'd be that keen to pitch him into the arc. But even without him, Snowfall, Adair, Tanawa, maybe Hurricane Lane, Chronogenesis from Japan. My word, it's an, it's an absolute thriller, Nick. And I, I thought that for me, Adiar was the one who held the aces going into, into yesterday's action. And I think that's maybe 
still the case. But if I was a bookmaker, I don't think I'd want to be offering more than the five to two currently available about Snowfall. Um, it's only a few years since Enable uh, left York, having also won the Oaks, the Irish Oaks and the Yorkshire Oaks. Now, yes, you'd won a King George as well on the way, but I don't think you would say that Snowfall has done any less than she did. Um, in those three races and I think she will head to the arc with similarly strong claims I mean as for wonderful tonight clearly she didn't have her optimum conditions is she going to be one of those horses that we we forget about too quickly do you think well I think certainly if we get a really deep ground arc and we've had some of those in recent years you only have to ask John Gosden that who will who will lament ground conditions for the last two arcs that that enable ran in um, and it certainly is possible that if we get deep ground, she could bounce back. We know how good she is um, when the mud is flying. It, it, at Longshore last season, the last on Champions Day, um, in the Hardwick Stakes on a season return when the ground wasn't even that deep, she was tremendously impressive. And although I think connections will have been disappointed, and they clearly were disappointed, I was talking to, to Willie Carson after the race. Willie's a great friend of Chris Wright, the owner of of wonderful tonight and he was saying that watching the race going past the two party was saying we're being bitten by a superstar and his view was confirmed as they went past the post but he did say and yet and yet and yet every race is different um, if we do get soft ground in the autumn we know how good she is on that and i think we shouldn't forget that but i think all along nick if you're a wonderful tonight fan however big a wonderful tonight fan you are you couldn't really think about supporting it for the arc until you got to that weekend and you knew what the ground was like. She has that she has that limitation hanging over her. I think with Adar and with Snowfall, they don't. And they I think therefore go in there as far more straightforward horses and on the form book as well as better horses. So as you know now, this is the Welcome to Yorkshire Ebor Festival and the week's eponymous race takes place tomorrow. Hugely valuable handicap. It has been won by Irish trainer Johnny Mercer before with mutual regard in 2014. He's double-handed this time with Sonny Boy Liston, who is very well fancied, and Miran, who's a slightly bigger price. But as he's been telling me as he makes his way over to the Knaves Mart, he's finding it very difficult to separate the two horses. It's a big race. It's been on the radar for a while. Um, I will be there. and I think it, it, it helps that I know what kind of horses I've ridden in the Ebor before and I get a feel for the race as a jockey and I suppose we're bringing over good horses as well, Nick. Would you say Sonny Boy Liston is the better of the two? Does he have the better chance? He's the better of the two at home. Um, you know, he's, I think he's, he's uh, £5 ahead of Moran on ratings but I couldn't split them on work the other morning. The work was good. Both horses worked very, very well the other morning. And Sonny Boy has to give Moran £5, which could sway his way. But I couldn't split them at the moment. And one of them's 13-2 to two and the other one's 14-1. to one. So it would seem from that that Miran might be the slightly better value of the pair. Yeah, well, I've I, I, I've been onto the syndicate there last week, and I said, you know, he needs everything to fall right from people thought, oh, he gave him a lot to do and ask up, but he's a horse that needs to be held up off a strong pace. Hopefully, we get that tomorrow with the Ebor. Um, he needs a bit of luck and running. But we we got a good jockey in Adam Adam Kirby. He's kind of cool. He won't come too soon on him. So, um, really looking forward to it now. You know, as I said, I'm really looking forward to, to tomorrow. 
And is the ground is the ground more suitable for one than the other? A lot of Sunny Boys formers come with a bit of cut. Yeah, I don't think they no extremes. I don't think they like firm in the going, and I don't think they like heavy in the going. But anywhere in the middle there. Um, but listen, the, the ground looked looked beautiful there for the last two days, and York usually prepare it really, really well. So I don't think there'll be any excuses with the ground. All right, time for a quick whirlpool update then today with Jamie Hart. Jamie, did yesterday yield what you anticipated? Slightly more, slightly less? Yeah, I mean, it was a really imp- it was a, another kind of nineteen million pound day. So we had over two million in every one of the seven races, and some great kind of value there across the board. I think some of the biggest kind of overpays. I think the, the exacts are overpaid the um, the forecast in every race. So if, you, if you'd had a pound on every. Every exactly, you'd, even even on course, you'd have, you'd have won £935 and the forecast paid 503 So, again, with the tri, trifecta versus the tricast, the tricast paid just under three grand for, for the bookies' kind of tricast over all the races and the trifecta paid over six grand. So, you can see, you know, the real value around the exotics there. So, that's a, that's a, a big kind of breakthrough for Whirlpool that people need to keep an eye on. Now, clearly, York, a huge crowd, a lot of people wanting to play on, on parimutuel wagering. The Whirlpool's garnered a lot of interest. There were a few grumbles about long queues yesterday and, and payouts taking a little while. Can you just sort of explain the, the difference between having a bet on the Whirlpool and, and betting with the bookies or betting on the ordinary tote? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think this is one of the things that people haven't picked up on um, that, that happens with the Whirlpool. Is normally, on a, in a normal kind of UK tote meeting, we tend to pay before the weigh-in. So if we think there's nothing wrong with the, the race, then we'll we'll get it to pay before the weigh-in and, and everyone gets... So people are used to coming up pretty early. Now, on the Whirlpool, because we've got 20 countries betting in, everybody has to finalise those, those uh, settlements across all of those different totes and a number of the totes don't pay before the weigh-in. So... For the first time in you know in the UK for some time, the, the tote customers, unfortunately, on course, are used to being paid before the weigh-in, but now they have just have to wait for the weigh-in. And especially with the York meeting, when they're going through the uh, you know the jockeys hang around for the interviews and then getting the, the prizes and stuff, it does take a bit of time. So if you can still the parade ring, don't go up and pick up your winnings. It, it, we are, are having to wait just for the weigh-in for the um, for the whirlpool stuff. But it's a small price to pay for that that extra money that comes into racing. And, Really, who needs an extra fifteen minutes when you're at the races enjoying yourself? Just wait till till towards when when you're going up your next bet, pick up your winnings instead. Jamie Hart there, and before that, Johnny Mercer with news of his runners in tomorrow's Ebor. Just continue our look back on on yesterday. Lee Motter said, "What was your supporting highlight away from Snowfall?" Um, I thought the the, the Lowther Stakes was a a good race, but not necessarily um, an outstanding Lowther Stakes. Zane Claudette was a uh, a fine win. I thought for Ray Dawson, the jockey, it, it meant a, a huge amount. And you only had to look at his reaction going past the post. He let out the most enormous roar um, as the fiddy crossed the line and he was punching the air uh, going past the line. I, so I thought I thought for, for, for him it was a big win. It was a big win as well for Ismail Mohammed, the trainer. Um, and after the race, uh, as a, as a as a probing news hound, Nick, I, I did think it was only right to to put to him that he's had a, a somewhat checkered past. I'm sure he would admit it himself, whether he's necessarily been been always guilty of, of, of things he's been implicated. And he has been given a two-year ban for endurance, uh, racing a doping ban there. And he's had previous run-ins in, in the past. The BHA was an inquiry in 2019 in which he was asked about his knowledge of turkey basters, of all things. I thought he gave me an, an interesting line. 
Arthur Nick. I said to him, you know, your reputation has suffered some knocks in the past. He said, if something happened yesterday, I have to forget it. I have to think about today. And, and Nick, as we move later into this pod, I think we'll be talking about one of his horses tomorrow. And I, I know I certainly will. So I thought that was interesting. And But perhaps uh, in some ways, the, 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 the final really strong memory of the day came in the in the Galtra Stakes when Holly Doyle riding for Barons and her fiancé, Tom Marquand, on Domino Darling, fought out the finish um, of that race with Holly just coming out on top um, in, in, a, in a desperately close finish. Um, that will, of course, great amusement in the household. And I can report, Nick, that we were both in the same York restaurant last night. And from my vantage position, I could see Holly and Tom and both had smiles on their faces. So I don't believe that that type finish has caused any damage to racing's great love. Mm. Lee, when we reconvene after the weekend, we'll be reflecting on what we hope is going to be a blistering Nunthorpe stakes this afternoon. And the weather has stayed pretty fine, which I think most people didn't expect earlier in the week. No, and I, I'm, I'm sure if you're connected to, say, for example, Swayze, the French filly, um, you'll be disappointed that they haven't had any rain at York. But in some ways, it's great for the race because you want a, you want a five furlong race to be run on fast ground, don't you? Of, of, of any sort of, of flat race, the sprints are ones that should take place on, on quick ground. You never saw your same bot going down a, a, tr- a muddy track in a 100 metre race. Um, I think it's a marvellous race. So much speed early on, six, so much speed. I mean, Golden Pal, Wesley Ward's Raider with Frank Dettori on board, how much will they want to erase the memory of, of what happened with Lady Aurelia when she swept past the post in front with Marsha and Frank Dettori celebrated prematurely on that finish because he actually lost the race. Um, she goes fast early on. Uh, Winter Power is incredibly quick um, from the gates when she won at, at York the other day. And you've got other horses in the race who, who just blaze a trail like Dakota Gold. It, it looks like it could be set up for horse Coming off the pace, I was speaking yesterday, Nick, to Ed Bethel, who is a um, young trainer based in, in Midland in North Yorkshire. He's taken over from his father this season. He has three big runners today. One of them, Moss Gill, is a sort of horse who, who would love it if they go fast early on and then sort of fall into a heap in the closing stages. That's perhaps less likely on really fast ground, but, but he would have a chance at each way odds. Dragon Simmer would be a huge winner for Archie Watson and jockey Ashin Murphy, who actually bought the horse for the horse's owner. Um, Yoshiro Kubota. So it, it's a, it's an unthought stakes that's full of interest, full of fascination. Um, and a further example, I think, is one of how in recent seasons, the, the, the top sprints in Europe over five and six furlongs really have raised the level compared to what we were getting 10 or so years ago. It's, it's, it's a mighty race. Can you remember the last time Frankie Dottori won the Nunthorpe? I can't. I am not looking at a Wikipedia page here, Nick, so I'm going to guess something like Loxon, but you're going to tell me that's wrong. Well, you're very close. Am I really? Yes, but he he's also, he did win it on Loxon, but he also won it five years later on Loxon's sister, Lock Angel. Lock Angel, Lock Angel. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, so Frank, yeah, and actually Frankie's record in the top sprints, I suppose, relative to some of the other divisions, maybe isn't as great as, um, as in other races. The July Cup is one, isn't it, that he always, he always wants to win and never quite can. Um, but yeah, I think given how matey he is with, with Wesley and, and given what happened a few years ago, he, he would love to win this race today. 
And if you want to hear more from Wesley Ward, you can do. I interviewed him uh, in a podcast earlier this week, as I did Bjorn Nielsen, the owner of Stradivarius. Is there one last tune in him, I asked? If there is a race for, for Stradivarius to win um, between now and the end of the season, I think it's either going to be this one or the Doncaster Cup. Um, he would be lucky, I think, to get ground that suits him at Acid on Champions Day. Increasingly, um, he either seems not to like that sort of ground or his connections are minded not to run him on that ground. I know they're running, they could run that race this year on the hurdles, track in a flat course, but even so, far more likely his conditions at, at York or Doncaster. Um, this looks a particularly winnable Lonsdale Cup. At the time of we're talking, Nick, True Shine, I think he's declared, but you wouldn't expect him to run given given the quick ground. That would reduce it to a four-runner race. Stradivarius' finishing kick should do the rest, really. Um, I, I, I suspect this will be his final season racing. And I also wonder if he did happen to go and win today, Nick, would would would, would the, the connections in, in the moment of, of elation decide that that's the right place to draw the line? So day three of York's Ebor Festival. Welcome to Yorkshire Ebor Festival. James Brennan is the head of marketing and sponsorship at the track. James, how are you getting on at the halfway stage? Oh, I think it's been a fabulous first two days, hasn't it? Certainly on the track. Those performances by Mishriff and Snowfall will live a long time in the memory, as well as the winners of the uh, the other 12 contests that we've seen so far. Still plenty more to come, whether it's the speedballs going for the Cool Morton Bassett Nunthorpe or that big and that big, most famous of handicaps, the Skybed Ebor tomorrow afternoon. Lots to look forward to. Two days in, going well. The uh, the race goes. It's just been tremendous to see them back next. And has it had its its complications since the relaxation of restrictions, or have you just been able to press on full steam ahead as you would have done pre the pandemic? We were fortunate. We got a little sighter there with Skybet York Stakes Day on the 24th of July, the first weekend as the nation entered Step 4. So we've we've wanted to deliver um, as near to normal as possible for people this week. And I think so far we've achieved that. We wanted a relaxed atmosphere. We wanted a sense of fun. We didn't want too, too heavy a hand uh, on the tiller of the dreadful C word. Um, there are still measures in place. There's still plenty of hand sanitizer around, places to wash your hands. Reminders if you go into a perhaps one of the, the little pinch points, maybe in a lift, you might want to pop on a face covering. But generally, we've tried to be as normal as possible. Um, and it's really been a delight in all regards. And I know you're a very keen historian of this fixture, James. Um, there'll be lots of our international listeners who will be hearing about the Ebor Festival and, and lo- looking forward to visiting York perhaps one day if they've not been before. When did it all begin? The name of the festival and the big handicap tomorrow is a contraction of the Roman name for the city, Ebor Akum, the place of the wild yew tree. Because that apparently is just about all that was here on the apex of what we now know as the Foss and the Ewes, when the Ninth Legion pitched up into town uh, during the uh, the establishment of the Roman Empire in Britain, they decided that, that was a good strategic place to make a castle and a fortress, and hence Eblacum, place of the wild yew tree, becomes Ebor, the best part of 2,000 years later. Every day a school day on the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. And uh, James, from from your perspective, in your many years here at the, here at the track, what would be your most your most treasured personal memory? We're very fortunate to have seen so many of them. We will, I think, we we'll remember seeing the first people back through the gates at the start of this week for a long time. And everyone talks about Frankel Day, and and I think that's right because he was 
uh, we think, a once-in-a-lifetime horse, and uh, there was such an electric buzz. There will always be a soft spot in my heart for, for Royal Anthem and Gary Stevens, who, who dare I admit to it, won the first Judmont International that I was involved in, <coughs> and that was in the last millennia. Wonderful performance, great day. Doesn't feel like all that long ago. James, thanks so much for talking to me, and, and thanks for all your help this week. Thanks a lot, Nick. All right, it's Friday, which means it's time for the Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Global Rankings. And don't forget, these rankings are prior to performances put up at York this week. We will get an update next week, but it's useful now to try and second-guess what's going to happen through the next few days as regards the dynamism of this list. At 10 is the recent Whitney handicap winner, Nick's Go, who was very impressive and posted a career-best performance at Saratoga. Nine is the Japanese star, the arc-bound chronogenesis. Eight is Mishrif. He is clearly going to climb after this week's performance, but just by how much. Seven, Gran Allegria. Six is Tanawa. Five, Essential Quality. Four, Adair, the Derby winner. Three, St. Mark's Basilica, who missed this week's Judmont International, but is bound for the Irish Champion Stakes. Two is the Hong Kong star, Golden 60. Their season starts again soon. And still at number one, after his victory in the pre-Jacques Lamarois, is Palace Pier. We'll come to him in just a few moments. But James Willoughby, we need to talk about the action from York this week and where we might see Mishrif relative to horses who've beaten him before, St. Mark's Basilica and Adair, and where also we are likely to see Snowfall when we release the next edition of the Top 10. Yeah, the point to make here is that the TRC system, Nick, sits in the cloud and receives a results file on Tuesday morning. There is no human involvement at all. So when I discuss what might happen with rankings, this is me trying to, if you will, second guess the algorithm. And that's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is that it is a computer learning system and it becomes fun to try to anticipate the mathematical logic. So... I invite your listeners to think to themselves, do you think the Judmont International victory of Mishrif, massively impressive though it was, is that enough to rank this horse and not to, to rank him above recent conquerors, St. Mark's Basilica and Adair? Now, what's interesting here is that TRC rankings that fundamentally believe that the depth of a horse's CV is as important as its height, by which I mean that whereas other ranking systems only rate horses on their best effort, so if a horse has one one two seven, that's the same as it having six one two sevens. We take a very different view to this based on the fact that previous race results and how you find winners and, and such like. So having thought about this long and hard, my guess would be that the international win promotes Mishrif above Adair because Adair has only won two group ones, but below St. Mark's Basilica because St. Mark's Basilica has got a much deeper CV. He's a group one winner at two. He's won four group ones to Adair's two. Mishrif now has won his fourth group one, in effect, but He's had nine starts in group races, which is above Adair's four and above St. Mark's Basilica six. Now, clearly, in this case, you can make different You can take different views on who deserves to be the superior, the higher ranked horse of the three. But the conversations I have through the week with people make it clear to me that this is a subject people find very interesting to cogitate. You know, what is it that we really rate in the, in the racehorse? Back in the day, and still in some quarters, 
these big flashy wins like Mishrifs have seen horses promoted to being world champions. But increasingly, there's this creep of thought generally in the sport that we really should be looking at the depth of performance. So we come to see horses like Enable, who after a three-year-old career, didn't really post any massive wide margin wins. But after a while, after group one, after group one, after group one piles up, you're forced to admit that she has to be one of the great horses of all time, even though by the weights and measures, you haven't got necessarily that massive wide margin win that we've seen here with Mishrif. So are we going to be suckered by Mishrif's defeat of inferiors, albeit in a superb time, in promote, and promote him above the two horses that handed him easy defeats when they met them? Or are we going to put this win up in context and say, yes, it was very impressive, but we need a rematch with these top horses before we can really conclude he's truly a world champion. But what I love about this ranking system is that it retrospectively reassesses races. And right. it will now say, surely, James, from what you've taught me and what it has taught me, it will say, Mishrif's run in the Coral Eclipse when defeated by St. Mark's Basilica was in no way representative of Mishrif's true form because it's got enough evidence to go on to, to know that. So therefore, surely Mishrif could go above St. Mark's Basilica based on, based on a discounting of that Coral Eclipse run. I agree with the concept that he's a lot better than that performance, but he was defeated by a very wide margin. So it leaves enough space for him to be rated in the gap somewhere between where he actually performed to in the Eclipse and where St. Mark's Basilica won the race. Now, where that's going to be, I do not know. You could well be spot on. We might, I might find when the, uh, the numbers uh, upload on Tuesday that you're spot on. It might even be that he goes to world number one, Mishrif. It's a principled system based on machine learning. We leave it to the computer, but it's fascinating to think how it works. And I, and I think for too long, numbers in this sport have been too manipulated by humans to say what the humans want them to say. Here we've got a different system. Here we've got a system where the numbers tell you what the computer thinks, and then it's up to you to accept it whether you want or not, or to say, I'm not having that, he was only half fit. The things the computer doesn't know, and that's increasingly the paradigm of modern-day artificial intelligence. It's not human or computer, it's human and computer that enables us to make a better stab at the truth. All right, what about Snowfall then? She's outside the top 10 at the moment. Surely that position is inconceivable moving forward. Absolutely. So she was at number 11. She actually moved up without running last week because her Oaks form was nicely advertised in America, of course. And she, again, yes, you're, you're absolutely right, she's poised to move up, but how high can she go? She's beaten only female horses so far. She took another step forward by beating older female horses, but some of these beer moths at the top of the rankings, Palace Pier, the thing about Palace Pier is, and why he is our world number one present at the moment, is that unlike Mishrif, it's impossible to promote a horse that's, that's run against him as being a superior athlete. There's only one defeat in group races for him, and that came on very heavy ground, very easy to discount. So my answer would be that Snowfall will probably find herself nestling in the lower reaches of the top 10, even though that won't be a big step forward. Did we learn much more about her? I'd say not necessarily we didn't. Wonderful Tonight was clearly not effective. Why they run Wonderful Tonight on fast ground, I have absolutely no idea. That was 
a bit of a misstep, I felt, by connections. Um, and take Wonderful Tonight out of that race. What did Snowfall beat? Not that much in, in global ranking terms. And finally, James, Palace Pier cements his position at number one after his victory in the Prejac de Marois, as we discussed yeah. on, on Monday. Right, and he's a, a perfect example. He's the poster boy of consistency. That's what we like. Others can take their flashy wins and promote horses to world champion on the back of beating inferiors by miles. That's for them to do. That's under the terms of their rating system. That's the way they see it. We see it a different way. We like portfolios. We like the aggregation of, talent, of uh, performance. And the reason for that is it reduces uncertainty. When a horse like a naval before Palace Pier or Winks or any of the greats, Frankel, wins race after race after race after race, then that error margin around what they should truly be rated, their true talent, if you will, narrows and narrows and narrows and narrows. And it means that they have to be great horses. And this is surely now becoming the case with Palace Pier. I don't think he's got there yet. John Gosden, his trainer, said he wasn't quite right in the Jacques Le Marois. That's his second Marois. Very few horses do that. If he goes on and maybe wins his remaining two career races, then I think he cements himself as one of the great milers. But if he slips up, making either of those two, well, these three-year-olds are so talented beneath him. And I haven't even really included in that statement Tarnawa, who was world number two um, in midway through last campaign, an essential quality was about to run in the Travers Stakes. Although he's coming off an unimpressive Jindandi win, he is a horse that's now won six of his seven graded stakes. And he's very, very good. All right. Thanks to James. Thanks to all my guests today. Thanks to Lee as well, who is going to provide you with a winner for the weekend. I'll give you two in it because I'm generous like that. I think Moskill each way in the Nunthorpe, as I said before, I think the race could potentially fall apart inside the final furlong. And he's just as a horse who could pick up the pieces. So Moskill each way in the Nunthorpe stakes and in tomorrow's £500,000 Skybet Ebor. I mentioned Trader Ishmael Mohammed earlier on. He has a horse in that called Away He Goes who carries a lot of weight, as a few of them do in this year's Ebor. It's attracting better horses these days. He travelled like a dream through most of the Goodwood Cup. Didn't quite go on then in the closing stages, but I think in this race, down two furlongs, on his way to the Melbourne Cup at a decent price, I think away he goes, might potentially win the Ebor. Lee, thanks so much. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to rejoin us on Monday. But between now and then, Charlotte will be along this evening with the Saturday edition. That will be available to download from 9 o'clock. We will see you later on. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.